Hello everybody, good afternoon, happy Thursday, not Friday, I need tripped up straight away, uh, window watch here for you, 24 hours early because of obviously the events that have happened today, so we're going to sort of broaden this out beyond transfers and probably start with the COVID stuff, Connor Southwell uh, joined by Dave Freezer for you and of course any comments and questions about anything uh, coronavirus related, uh, which is a shame that we're having to talk about this again, um, or anything transfer and speculation um, related then then whack them in the comments whichever channel you happen to be watching this on and we'll uh, we'll do our best to answer them over the next uh, 45 minutes to an hour or so um dave let's start with the covid stuff i mean people will have seen now obviously uh, last night's game against coventry called off um the the game against saturday that was scheduled for, for saturday against sheffield united where we were hoping to see the return of of norwich city fans in, a, in an opposing stadium for the first time since um since obviously the the lockdown restrictions and games behind closed doors and and stuff like that talk to us about where we are in terms of of this norwich city covid outbreak a small number of of positives seems to be that the line the club are, are going with has a has a lot of implications, doesn't it? Two weeks before the Premier League starts, it does. It's it's a worry, but I, from everything that we've heard from the club, they are trying to be as decisive as they can. We all know that football clubs, not just football clubs, but every single one of us really, and around the globe at the moment, are having to deal with what we hope in this country, at least, is is sort of the tail end of the the pandemic. Although we we know that we're probably going to live with. COVID-19 for, for a long time and that there's going to be follow-up jabs and things like that needed, aren't we? Let's not go sort of too far down that route. But from a football club point of view, uh, you know, just look at the Olympics over in Japan at the moment and, and how difficult it is for them to actually be making all that happen. Football had seemed to be um, finding a course through all this, which was working out fairly well. Um, Norwich aren't the only club um, who have been involved with this sort of stuff. Last night's game uh, for Villa was postponed because Forest have had an outbreak. They had to cancel the game against uh, Burnley as well. Arsenal had to cancel the trip to the USA. Um, Gillingham, of course, who hopefully will still be coming to Carrow Road next Tuesday. They've had to cancel games earlier. So we're in this really difficult phase of life aren't we and you know you look latitude happened at the weekend for instance there's, there's festivals happening my um uh my girlfriend's um brother went to download i think that was last month you know things are happening again people were at wembley there were big crowds and stuff we're we're getting back to life and obviously that brings risks doesn't it and and we just are all hoping that the vaccination is going to prove sufficient to to hold out and that we're going to find our way through this difficult spell now that the you know the kids have finished school and all that sort of stuff but from Norwich's point of view they it sounds like they're essentially well it feels like we've all slipped back a year doesn't it it feels like we're back in that kind of project restart era and it sounds like Norwich are basically on red alert they're at top level of risk for Covid now they've got an outbreak in the camp that's quite clear and um, we don't know exactly how many they're not saying who it is this time around. We know that Angus Gunn and Jacob Sorensen had tested positive at the end of last week because they weren't involved in the Huddersfield game. But that means, from what we're hearing, that, that the players won't be using the changing rooms. They'll be social distancing whenever possible. So they turn up in their kit, they go home in their kit. Um, all those little sensibilities of protecting against coronavirus are back. They've got to do everything they can to get this stamped out dealt with as soon as they can. Um, they were already testing regularly, of course. That clearly has been cranked up. It's all pretty obvious stuff, isn't it? We, we've we've spoken about this, sadly, depressingly, for far, far too long now. Um, you know, that it was there was almost a nice parallel opening up this Saturday, wasn't there, that Bramall Lane was the last 
um, proper away away day, basically, wasn't it? Where fans were there and there were going to be a small amount of Norwich fans there again and looked like there was sort of 8,000 tickets in total, something like that. It was never actually confirmed. Um, that's including the home fans. Um, so it, it felt like we were going to have a nice parallel in that we were coming back out with um, that, that match. But that has now gone by the wayside and Norwich have got to do everything they can to make sure that those final two friendlies go ahead. Gillingham at Carrow Road on Tuesday, Newcastle the following Saturday because there's no tonight. Okay, they've had three pre-season games already. Um, they've been well into the thick of the training and, and we all know that Daniel Farker works them hard, double sessions and all that sort of stuff for well over a month now. And they will, all the ones who are available this weekend still will no doubt be worked just as hard, if not even harder now because they haven't got games. Um, but they have just got to put the foot down as much as possible and use testing to get out of this awkward little patch they're in, get everybody back safely, and then hopefully carry on as safely as possible next week so then get those final two friendlies. And and we shouldn't forget as well, we, we don't know um, yet whether people have got symptoms, whether anyone's feeling unwell. We hope not. And, and you would imagine at this stage of the pandemic that most of the squad are vaccinated or have at least had their first jab. We won't know that kind of thing because that's private medical details and we, we can't just say has you know Daniel Farker had his vaccine that's that's up to him isn't it we, they, they don't have to sort of share that kind of information um so yeah they're in a, they're in an awkward spot but they uh it sounds like they're doing absolutely everything they can to just get on top of it and then crap back on because you know what are we just over two weeks until that Liverpool game yeah, and they were scheduled to be in York, weren't they, this week, doing a uh, mini kind of pre-season camp, if you like. They obviously had to to come back after that that small number of positive tests earlier in the week. They've returned to Colney. More testing has, has taken place. There's been no additional positive cases at this stage. That isn't the reason the, the, the game on Saturday has been called off. It's, it's more as a precautionary measure. As, as you mentioned, Sheffield United start their season, don't they, relatively soon. They've already had issues with COVID earlier on in pre-season. Um, you have to kind of weigh up not just the risks that you're putting into your squad, but also the opposition as well. For example, yesterday evening, that, that game would have involved both Coventry and putting their players at risk and then Chesterfield as well, who are hosting the game. So you have to balance these things out. Uh, and hopefully we'll be at a stage on Tuesday evening where um, we'll be further down the track and mo- the majority of the squad will have been tested for a significant portion um, that we can sort of begin to wean out those those positives and, and, and make sure that everyone gets on the road to recovery again. But as you say, Dave, the, the crucial thing that people will be looking at is two weeks before that Liverpool game, three of the back four, Dimitris Yanoulis, Ben Gibson, Grant Hanley, which, you know, we don't know that exactly how they rank, but it was certainly... Um, those three played a high proportion of of the games in the championship last season. Those three yet to play a single minute in pre-season. In terms of preparation, even with intense training sessions, it doesn't particularly bode well, does it, for the start of the Premier League campaign in what just over 14 days' time? It doesn't. And, and just to follow up a little bit on what you were saying there, we've got to remember that the other team very much are important here. You know, um, For instance, um, the EFL season starts a week on Saturday. Uh, in fact, uh, when looking at the Danal Sanani story this morning, Huddersfield's first game is on Sunday. They play Sheffield Wednesday in the League Cup. So um, it, for the EFL clubs, it's really close. So Gillingham, for instance, on Tuesday, they're going to real, really want assurances that they're not putting themselves under any risk by playing that game. And equally, Sheffield United, um, the game on Saturday would have been seven days before they're due to start their championship campaign against Birmingham. They're a week before the Premier League game. So... It's an awkward little balancing act, isn't it, um, to, to to make sure. And Norwich clearly have got to do everything they can to make sure that the opposition are satisfied with it. Sheffield United is a, is a good example as well, because 
they had to come home from a training camp in Spain in our, in Marbella. They had to cancel two friendlies because they had an outbreak, and because they were in sort of a, a holiday bubble, they all had to self isolate, and they didn't uh, get back into preseason action until last night. They won four 0 at Doncaster. So this is again, this is far from Norwich. This is everybody having a a really difficult balancing act at the moment as uh, you know as as so many of us are, are finding out but yeah in terms of the injuries uh, without being an expert in this sort of thing I, I guess you could probably argue it either way couldn't you you know if you're Kenny McLean, Grant Hanley, Ben Gibson, Demetrius Yanoulis, even Billy Gilmore had a knock perhaps not travelling around for two games and staying at Colney and just doing focus specific work rather than doing game work where you might be forced to sh- overstretch or um, you might just um, do something that you're not planning to do whereas in training it can be a lot more specific perhaps for those sort of lads in terms of their pure fitness and their injury recovery it might not be the worst thing in the world but in terms of game sharpness which of course at this stage of pre-season is very much what we're wanting to see isn't it like at, at Sheffield United on Saturday we would have started we would have started to shake off that sort of oh well it's just pre-season it's mainly about the fitness at this stage, you start to narrow in a little bit, don't you? You're wanting to see players finding a bit of form. You're wanting to see those defined shapes and patterns in how Norwich are playing, and you're wanting to judge it a little bit. And that's never 100%, of course, because we've all seen with Norwich and many other teams that you can have a brilliant result in pre-season and then it can all go down the pan. Wasn't it in 2009, I think, wasn't it? They drew with a Manchester United 11 at Carrow Road. I think Tom Adeyemi yeah. scored, and then they lost 7-1 to Colchester. So... Um, you know, preseason can never be 100%, but you can start to take um, more hints from what you're starting to see. So the Gillingham game, I guess we're probably going to give it a little bit more leeway, but certainly that Newcastle game, given that they, they're going to be playing Liverpool, it's not going to be Brentford or Burnley or something. They're going to be playing Liverpool, who are going to be fired up and potentially have the world's best defender back in Virgil van Dijk um, and are going to be very fired up to, to get back on the title hunt. Um certainly by that Newcastle game, you're going to be wanting to see some significant progress and specifically in terms of those players as well. If they're going to play against Liverpool, if it's, for instance, going to be Hanley and Gibson as your centre-back pairing against Liverpool, you need those two to have banked at the very minimum 90 minutes. Yeah, you do. Uh, I was just thinking there while you were talking, actually, and you were kind of listing off the players that maybe will, in a bizarre way, benefit from no match action. Sam Byram's popped into my head as maybe a great example. Someone who had a setback, maybe someone who can do a lot of specific work and maybe even feature if, if that Tuesday game does go ahead. And, and we certainly hope it, that it does. And, you know, you, you kind of put in, in the piece that you wrote this morning that um, it seems that, that this decision has been made with a view to that game at Carroll Road on Tuesday. So hopefully that is the case um, to answer Norwich Roundup's question on, on YouTube when he's he's asked about the, the match at Carroll Road. Um, so, possibly it could be of benefit to some players it depends kind of which way you want to argue it i suppose but um but yeah let's see if we've got any more in terms of this we kind of answered um johannes's point about players and vaccinated kind of a, a bit of a gray area the only one we know who has definitively been vaccinated is ben gibson and that's because he did a video for the club saying that he had been vaccinated but beyond that it's it's very difficult 
to kind of delve into play, as, as I'm sure everyone will understand for various reasons, to delve into sort of people's personal medical records. I mean, I wouldn't be able to dive into yours. You wouldn't be able to dive into mine. It's exactly the same with, with players. There's a degree of confidentiality. Isn't well, there? So, as, as you well know, Mr Southwell, I had my second jab. You did. When yeah. was that? On Tuesday. And I felt absolutely awful yesterday. <laughs> um, so beware if you're having the second Pfizer jab. But yeah, I did uh, I did put the question to the club to expecting that that was probably going to be the answer to say, you know, where are the players at with vaccination? And that was what they basically were saying is that their private medical records, it's down to the individual player. If they put out on Instagram, yeah, I've just had my second jab, go and get your vaccine. That's up to them, isn't it? But it's not the club's media team's place to be saying so-and-so has been had his first jab. So-and-so has had his second. This person hasn't had anything yet. You know, um, we're all in different boats for that. You know, you're, early 20s I'm mid 30s we're all getting these things at different stages as well and and frankly the Norwich squad has similar age gaps doesn't it you know um who, who you've got Adam Eder I think is 20 Max Aaron's 21 and then you've got Michael McGovern is 37 I think he is now yeah. isn't he just off the top of my head so yeah there's going to be disparities through that and and football has had to tread a slightly delicate line through all that in terms of not um not requesting if we go back over a year at Project Restart, not they didn't want to sort of take on that bad PR of saying, well, all the football players have got to be vaccinated if we're going to play because it's worth so much money. They, the clubs and the leagues realised that that was a bit of a PR disaster waiting to happen, that they just had to wait their turn the same as everyone else and that they were no more important than, than me or you. Yeah, I think it was Sean Dyche making that argument, wasn't it, about prioritising footballers and, and stuff like that, which, yeah, I, I don't think, beyond maybe the the core of football fans is is going to resonate with a lot of people in the general public to be mm. honest um this is this is the flip side of it from from peaky ntfc on on youtube who said absolutely gutted with sheffield united lost money in trains um and obviously the crushing from from hope of seeing normality and and that's kind of what we've discussed isn't it it was it was set to be a nice parallel it was it was for example it was the last game that we um, well, me, you, Paddy, uh, Tony as well, all, all went to an away game, wasn't it? That hasn't happened since then. Um, and, and obviously Norwich fans haven't been able to to get into an away stadium since then either. So that, that, there's that element to it as well. And, and and that is kind of where we're at at the moment, as you mentioned earlier on, that kind of transi- well, transition, if, if you like. Nobody knows how long of, of this we've got to go, but it does kind of feel like a transitioning out of it. And as restrictions eased and people could do more things, as you said earlier, there is going to be an element more sort of risk to that. And that extends to footballers as well, who will be enjoying the same kind of freedoms, I suppose, that, that maybe all of us um, will be. I, I think it that's, feels that's like probably- a sting in the tail, doesn't it? Like we've, we we thought we'd been for all this. We thought we'd sort of done with all this um, abnormality, really. We thought we were on the road back towards normal football that, and hopefully we still are, obviously, overall. But just in, in terms of the Norwich City bubble, all of a sudden we're now talking about cancelled games. And us as Norwich reporters, I mean, I think I, I was at the Kings Inn game. We were both at the Kings Inn game. Um, the Lincoln game wasn't shown live, was it? The Huddersfield game, I was on holiday, so I couldn't watch that, caught up on as much as I could, watch the highlights and things like that. So I was genuinely very much looking forward to, to seeing how they were shaping up and, and seeing whether Byron was going to play and if Hanley was fit and if McLean was going to be on the bench and things like that. And that's exactly what all the Norwich fans were, were really looking forward to, wasn't it? As much as the fan element is great and, and hopefully we will get there eventually once we get through this difficult period. Um, it was it was very much about the football, wasn't it? And we were all looking forward to getting a few um, answers to some of the questions that we've all been talking about. And now we've got sort of a another weekend where rather than having evidence to, to talk and discuss um, we've got a sort of another empty weekend and the 
the wait goes on, I suppose. Yeah, I'm going to have to uh, to spend more time at home, which is um, which is not a great joy. <laughs> I jest, I jest. Um, Diane has said, uh, do we know how many players at the club, uh, other than the two named, have tested positive for COVID? The club have said small number, and that is the line, isn't it? I mean, we, we've asked the question. The club have said they won't be disclosing the details of, of any of the players that have tested. So that's what we're going to have to go with now, just a, a small number of players. I, I think beyond that, we, we're probably not going to find out too too much unless players at their own discretion come out and, and, and say something which thus far hasn't been the case yeah that happened with adam eder i think in january didn't it i think that was january there's, there's been a few isn't there tim cruel obviously actually had symptoms in in january as well didn't he just after he got back from his, his injury so this isn't totally new thing but i think um where we are with things at the moment as as i said earlier is all of us or a lot of us are getting back to normal I, I was at a wedding for instance this weekend one of my best friend's wedding so um i can't really sit here and say well why were the Norwich players, you know, at Lotus driving the cars around and things like that? And, you know, we're, we're all supposed to be sort of getting on with our lives again. And that means, as the government said right from the start, that the cases are going to rise. And we're kind of having to put our trust in them, aren't we? That the hospitalizations and um, and the deaths, sadly, are, are going to stay low. And that's what we're all just desperately hoping does prove to be the case, aren't we? It's a really difficult period. But I think it's it's difficult for people to start sort of hitting the football club too hard because that's that's basically their decision. They can they can keep those players under lock and key, can't they? And say no, you're not allowed to do anything. You're not allowed to, uh, society. But these are wealthy, um, happy young men who have got lives to lead and who have been as frustrated as all of us with how little they've been able to do in the last eighteen months. And they want to get on with their lives, don't they? So. Um, Ultimately, where we are at life at the moment comes with risk and comes with testing. I mean, I've done a lot of the lateral flow testing in recent weeks. It's not not a nice experience. The footballers have been doing it every other day for for a lot of the last 18 months, haven't they? So um, that's the approach the club have taken for the time being. That may evolve, that may, ch may change. But for, for now, they've decided that they're just going to say it's a small number of cases. They're not looking to identify anyone because... They don't really feel that's necessary. They feel like things have evolved from um, where they were a year ago or whatever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's worth um, adding as well, before they, they went to the Lotus event and obviously the, the videos that have come out of them playing karaoke, they were all tested before that, as, as you mentioned, and, and all return negative tests. So um, that's the reason those events sort of took place and why you've seen them and, and of course we, we wish everyone involved a, a speedy recovery as well hopefully see them back in in the squad relatively soon as as we continue sort of Premier League preparations just finally on this I thought we'd end on a bit of a lighter note because um, that's that's probably quite a heavy start to this uh, Liam Winnell has said to get a pink in 11 and arrange a game against them uh, I'm not sure <laughs> where, where you kind of view your position in that Dave or how we get 11 players to be honest um, but where do you kind of see yourself in in that team? Uh, 10 years ago, I might have put myself on the wing. Uh, nowadays, uh, with my hamstring and ankles, um, you're probably best sticking me at right back and <laughs> hoping I don't do any damage. Um, Pad can be the midfield enforcer, can't he? Um, I think Clarkie's a goalkeeper, I think. We could, I think so. He's, he's mentioned playing five-a-side, hasn't he, for sure? Yeah. Uh, Ewan's a columnist, so obviously we can stick Ewan up get front. Up front, yeah. Uh, not, we'll nice we'll all defend and we'll let Ewan get on with it. Yeah, you you were a nearly a football league star at Cambridge, weren't you? So well, uh, you had a bit more field. ability, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I reckon we could piece it together, but we might need to pull in a few of the, a few of those columnists, a few of the former players, maybe. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, Tony will have to 
let us know somewhere where, where he'd play and we can begin to fit we can begin to maybe fill those positions in before the uh, before the end of this um let's let's move on to the, the transfer stuff then dave and, and i suppose we better start with the greek lad which i'm going to take the pro- the first go at pronouncing now i'm sure anyone who, who maybe speaks um greek or knows a bit more about greek than me um might be able to kind of pick holes in my pronunciation but i believe tz that pronunciation becomes a j so i think oh, we're right. talking about christoph jolis but I'm, I'm, I'm open to being corrected on that. I'm, I may be completely wrong. Um, this is the 19-year-old winger from from Powark um, that Norwich City have been linked with in really the last 24 hours, it seems to have um, to, to gather traction, uh, as the comment says there from Norwich Roundup. A lot of Greek journalists saying that bids are in and, and, and stuff. Um, Dave, talk to us a little bit about him and, and, and because obviously we, we, we know we've been saying for ages that Norwich City would like a, a, another winger. He does fit the profile. He is someone that we know that they've watched and, and has been on their, their list of possible additions for over a year now. So it's a long held interest in, in Jollis. Um, for a lot of reasons, this one does seem to tick the boxes. It does. I mean, if they can get him for within their budget, I, I'd be very impressed. And obviously, COVID is having a, an impact on on the transfer market all over the place, isn't it? And and Greece is a is a country where they've had economic difficulties in the uh, in the past ten years, just on the basis of the previous financial crisis, haven't they? And and their tourism industry was, of course, really um, badly badly affected by COVID. So um, their football league inevitably is going to have been uh, really badly hit. We've seen. France have had a big problem after the collapse of their TV deal and stuff, didn't we? So this lad sounds like he's really made a um, a cracking start to his career. Um, I think he was linked with Barcelona, even wasn't he? So yeah, Manchester um, United, Dortmund. As, as you know, if it, <laughs> nowadays it seems if you're any if you're half decent by eighteen, then your agents normally link you with um, half of the big clubs in Europe. <laughs> we've had, we've even had a few of the sort of. Norwich Academy lads in the recent years, haven't we? Who just all of a sudden were linked with? I remember Simon Power was linked with Borussia Dortmund one day, wasn't he? And we were like, "What? <laughs> Where does that come from?" Um, just basically because he he was quick. I think he played at the Toulon tournament a bit, didn't he, for Ireland? But anyway, um, I, I digress. But the video that caught my attention really was, um, I think it was against Benfica in the Champions League qualifiers uh, with Yanulis crossing and him scoring uh, Jolis and. He, yeah, for a lad who's still a teenager, he really does seem to have made an impact. Already eight caps for Greece, I think it is, isn't it? So definitely fits into what we think Norwich are looking for. He looks like he's got a bit of experience as playing at top as well. And given he's got pace and an excellent goal scoring record and at his age, you, you just wonder whether they maybe see him as one where they could convert him into a striker. They could make him adept at playing both of those positions. But um, we'll have to see how how that one evolves. But um, the thing that's probably worth pointing out is that one of Norwich's uh, scouts is from Greece, Mariela Nisataki, who I interviewed about a year or so ago. She's um, uh, one of the, sort of the most high-profile female scouts in, in the game, so she's clearly going to know uh, that area very well. And um, that's where they got Yanulis from in in January from from Powell. So um, I. Not at all surprised to hear that he is a player that they are well aware of. Um, but if they can get him for the sort of money that's being talked about, that'll be a potentially a very impressive deal. 
Absolutely, yeah, and it's worth kind of reiterating nothing close on this. I think there's probably still quite a bit to work, uh, of work to do. Uh, obviously, various reports of, of bids and stuff that that, that we're aware of um, uh, and whatnot, but um, it, it, it does seem like in terms of actually anything concrete, this isn't anything that is um, is sort of 48 hours from, from him being yeah. pictured in a, in a Norwich shirt or anything like that. I think it, it, it will be probably the next week or, or two maybe that will, will prove um, pivotal in this and, and if and, and how it moves on. Um, as Dave mentioned, there's clearly a, a link between Norwich and, uh, and Powick from, from that Unulis deal in, in January. Norwich want a winger in terms of age. He, he looks good to, to me and certainly from the people I've kind of spoke to who are a lot more knowledgeable about football than 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 me um as kind of said he's probably a bit more of a, a creator you've kind of got Rashica who um although many people have maybe viewed as that Buendia replacement fairly naturally because of the money and and for how people have um have kind of viewed how that overlapped he seems to be someone who is a bit more wants to get on the end of chances wants to score the score goals perhaps maybe than than do what Buendia did and drop in pockets and and look for the ball on the half turn and that sort of stuff Jolis does look a, a bit more like that kind of player, doesn't he? Someone who does kind of fit a profile. If you want to target or label it as a Buendia replacement, possibly looks to be a player of a similar mould, I would say, maybe than, than a direct replacement, because let's be honest, replacing a player of Buendia's ability is incredibly difficult. Yeah, and, and Emmy is quite got quite a unique style almost, doesn't he? Um yeah, he maybe looks a bit more direct than than Emmy from what I've seen. But yeah, that that I'd go along with everything you you said there. Really, I mean, Rashitsa, there was quite a can't remember exactly what Daniel said after the Kings Ling game, wasn't there? He, he sort of took the took the Mickey out of his finishing a little bit that night because we've all seen that Rashitsa really can finish uh, in the Bundesliga. He's scored some brilliant goals, hasn't he? And on his highlights reel, um, and he he attempted a couple of sort of audacious long-term long-range efforts uh, at the walks that didn't come off at all he completely spanned them didn't he so hopefully uh well particularly now that he's had two fewer friendlies to prepare with he'll uh he'll have found his range a bit more in training and stuff by the time the uh the start of the premier league uh, campaign comes around and with all this talk it it feels like um, it's almost being forgotten about a little bit it's just because there's so much else going on and we're all thinking about, you know, these far enough few transfers and, and, and everything that's going on at the moment that <laughs> their start to the Premier League season is Liverpool, Manchester City, Leicester and Arsenal. So th- there is part of me that kind of feels like um, the season isn't really starting in, in a couple of weeks and that the season really starts after the September international break, which is when they go away to Arsenal and then they've got a few more uh, winnable type of games in the in the next couple of months. I think it's off the top of my head. I think they got Watford, Burnley, Brighton, Brentford. So, yeah, um, I don't. I just don't know how how excited or how strongly to judge things until we've got the other side of it. I mean, if they pull off a, a shock result and you know beat Liverpool on the opening night because there's a nearly full house that basically sucks the goals into the net because it's just such a brilliant atmosphere and they pull off a sort of famous win then then great but anything they get from those opening three games is just a bonus isn't it so I wonder whether maybe that can take the pressure off everything a little bit particularly with the transfer window not closing to August 30th and stuff um I don't know but I think that's worth bearing in mind yeah Absolutely, it is. Um, any any questions on on Jollis? Get them in. I'm, I've seen a few whiz by, um, which I may have missed. 
This is an interesting one from Matt, who says, uh, can you tell us how these transfers work? How do uh, you guys know we've had a, a long-held interest in it? Obviously, we, we will speak to the relevant people who, who will who will tell us stuff. We, we're not, we can't obviously <laughs> tell you who or, or, or in what capacity, but um, but there you go. In terms of how transfers work, it's, it's a very complex process. You, you, there's a lot of grey sort of matter, isn't there, between a, a deal getting done and, and perhaps interest becoming kind of public. There's a lot of stuff in between that, which is probably quite detailed and, and, and whatnot. There are people kind of with a lot more knowledge on, on how transfers work than, than us. But uh, it's, it's an interesting question, isn't it? And, and, and probably if you if you pulled the curtain back, probably a lot of people will be surprised about how football does operate and how um, important phone calls are and stuff like that, even in, in this day and age. It's not quite the old, the, the sort of fax machine of old, is it? Yeah, and there's not one size fits all. You know, sometimes a transfer is really straightforward. You know, Kieran Dow last summer is one that that stands out. He was one who had a year left on his deal at Everton. Norwich just come down from the Premier League. He'd had a good loan at Wigan. They went in with with a good offer, which we think was sort of low seven figures, and we sort of something something a, a above a million ish um, initially. Everton were happy. The player was thought, you know, that's spot on. That's exactly the move I want. No one knew about it. No speculation or anything and it just goes through and uh he's unveiled as a Norwich player and then you get ones which are you know completely different and and the agent has has leaked the interest nice and early because they're trying to get um other clubs interested or they're trying to play the the long game maybe if we put that in the in the Philip Billing context at the moment for instance it's a player that from our it's probably best to describe in, in response to that comment our well-placed sources um yeah, you know yeah. they're Obviously, we deal with staff at the club a lot. Um, we are the, the main media outlet in, in, in Norfolk and have been for a long Well, we've been the Eastern Daily Press has been around a lot longer than Norwich City Football Club, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. And without going into to this story too much, back in the day, Eastern County's newspapers was one of the companies which saved Norwich from financial meltdown. So um, that story is is out there on the internet somewhere if you, if you ever want to want to find out. But you know we are obviously a very well established group uh, media group in the area. So we um, we work alongside the club in in lots of ways, and we hold them to account in in lots of ways as well. Um, but with Billing, he's one that we know they like, and 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 as with several players, because you always have to remember Norwich's financial context of, in terms of. Um, they're they're kind of different to everyone else in the Premier League, aren't they? Even Brentford come up with with a lot of money behind them. Watford have got five years in the Premier League and wealthy owners. So Norwich, are, they may well like, um, let's say, Adam Armstrong. If Adam Armstrong is available for, I'm making this is off the top of my head, 10 million um, with add-ons to take it to 15 and a, and a sell-on, Norwich would probably want him. That, that That's no sort of rocket science behind that, is that? But if Southampton come in and say, well, we'll give you 15 million up front, rise into 20 then it's game over isn't it Nor Norwich are living in that world where they kind of don't necessarily have control over the finances uh, uh, over those negotiations because if another club with more money comes in then what can they do to stop it so with Philip Billing he's one that we think they like that interest has come out I think it was initially the sun that, that leaked it so that's got to have come from somewhere hasn't it probably at some point a, a representative or an agent or who is involved with billing who was getting his name out there and seeing if there are any interested clubs and and uh, and whatever after Bournemouth hadn't gone up um, but again um, at the moment Bournemouth haven't sold any of their big stars have they Dan Juma's the big one I, I still his name still pops up every now and again in the comments despite the fact that I think Norwich would have to sell Aaron's and Campwell to be able to afford him, wouldn't and they? And probably Cow Road, yeah. 
<laughs> possibly. I think you're talking about a 25, 30 million pound player there, aren't you? Whereas Philip Billing, if things work out and Norwich can get him for in the sort of money that they are working within with, with, with their budget, then that is a player that they'd like and, and they think would fit in. But as we know, um, Stuart Webber, particularly the way Norwich do business, they've got to have long lists. They've got to be able to react because as soon as Philip Billing turns around and says, he comes out and does an interview and says, no, I'm saying at Bournemouth, as I think it was the Sun reporter, isn't it, that he's been in, impressed with what he's seen from Scott Parker in pre-season and that he potentially could be persuaded to stay, then that's game over. They move on to the next one. But I, I saw there was a bit of Twitter fuss this week, wasn't there, about was it uh, they were onto the C list of targets or something? Uh, some apparently in the know um, Twitter account had said, well, even if that is the case, um, does that mean that they're bad players? I mean, Stuart Webb's got a pretty good record and, and the recruitment team have got a pretty good record on the whole. But as they've been very open about, they didn't do it well enough after promotion to the Premier League two years ago. And they've got to prove that they can do that this time around. I'll tell you what, if, if Jollis is on the C list, and I'd like to see there be an A list, that's for sure, in terms of profile of player. We, we've obviously seen players like Sebastian Bornau, who, who've gone to Wolfsburg, who obviously are a massive German club as well. Again, the, you do naturally, every club misses out on players. Every club has to work their way down lists and will have preferences that don't come off. That's the way transfer windows work. And as you mentioned there, that, that contingency planning, as Norwich will have in place for, let's say, a situation where Max Aaron's leaves, got that right, little pause, but got it right, um, or, or Todd Campbell leaves, there will be plans in place, there will be players on lists that they begin to work down and begin to put kind of the wheels in motion. So um, it's just... I would like a Maserati, but, you know, exactly. I, my budget doesn't quite work for that. So I've worked my way down and then end up with a Renault Clio. But yeah. it's doing a job, it's doing a job. Well, exactly. You you, <laughs> you aim high, don't you? And, and I think it's, it's probably not a secret Norwich look for, for players maybe that they feel would improve their squad significantly and then you go to okay well we can't get the player who will improve us significantly so how about improve us strongly and then improve us whatever and and, and eventually you get to someone who maybe who just improves you but at least they're still improving you so I wouldn't read too much in terms of maybe what list Norwich City are on um, as we saw last time and, and as Stuart Weber has said they probably felt that they worked down the list too quickly and um, uh, and Patrick Roberts is, is is probably I think Stuart Weber even named Patrick Roberts last week as, as maybe being an example of that. So it, it just it just goes to show, doesn't it? In, in terms of lists and different things, you can maybe never really fully judge in the whole until the transfer window closes. Um, just finally on on Jollis, it, it seems that um, certainly the, the noises from the Powick end seem to be that, that they're after around ten million. Uh, English pounds for him plus a, a couple of million of add-ons so that would you would imagine probably structured slightly differently very similar to the Rashica deal possibly mm. um, which is around 8 million up front isn't it but we'll probably will push towards the 11 million region that Norwich can structure deals now to this scale whereas that wasn't the case two years ago so that is certainly again we talk about ticking boxes that is certainly probably within the price range that would be doable for Norwich if the structure was correct so yeah probably watch this space over this one but um that that one very much seems to be live um let's let's move on to one that isn't which is uh, I've got to pronounce another one now Jean Charles Castel Castel Castelletto I'll go with that Castelletto yeah I'll go with that uh, Cameroonian international the French market again one that we know Norwich are monitoring because of what you said earlier in terms of a lot of value we've obviously seen Pierre Malou um come from from France um this isn't one that that they're pursuing I think it was uh, a Spanish outlet wasn't it that reported that um Norwich and uh, La Liga club that has escaped my mind at the minute of um have, have inquired for him 
from our understanding that that isn't the case. Um, and it probably broadens it out to centre-backs again. It would feel like we've spoken about this on, on kind of every show that we've done and, and, and what they're looking for. Norwich City will only sign centre-backs that they feel are improvements, we'll use that word again, on probably the frontline options that they have, which are, as things stand, Grant Hanley and, and Ben Gibson. So if a player doesn't represent a, an improvement on those two and isn't coming in to play regularly or improve the squad, then Norwich City won't sign anyone. And and, and that is um, that, that does seem to be sort of the approach they're adopting. It comes back to that sort of quality over quantity point, doesn't it, Dave? Yeah, um, and people probably shouldn't be forgetting that Jacob Sorensen was used on the right of a back three on that opening night at, at King's Inn, um, which I think from the majority of people that I saw talking about it said, you know what, that makes a lot of sense uh, from what we've seen of the lad so far. We, I really don't think we've seen enough of him in midfield to make a, a full judgment, but, you know, he's not a left back long term, but as a right side of a back three, he actually fits pretty well. And if Daniel Farker were to go with that against Liverpool on the opening night, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see him starting ahead of Omar Bamadeli on the right of a centre three man defence because, um, you know, Omar Bamadeli has got a lot of potential and they really have been impressed with him. I think he's probably caught them by surprise by how quickly he's developed and how much he's grabbed his opportunity. Um, you know, frankly, what he did at the end of last season was was dreamland for him, wasn't it? The way he came in and, and grasped his opportunity and, and didn't really make any major ricks at any point, did he? There was a, a few shaky moments and stuff, but in general, he looked very composed and impressive and looks to have a big future in the game. Um, but Sorensen's 23. He's got, I don't know, was it 15 uh, caps at Denmark um, under 21 level? And um, I think uh, has definitely got ambitions of, of getting international recognition for his country as well at some point in his career. So he shouldn't be forgotten about in, in that central defensive mix. And yeah, you've got to get the right one. You don't just go and buy um, a, a £3 million centre-back just to, to fill out the numbers I wouldn't have thought, but what we also, we still, with a month left, they are planning to get another centre-back, aren't they? That, they know that they need another one and they know will know absolutely full well that if two weeks into the season Grant Hanley's hamstring goes and they haven't brought in another centre-back, then the fans are going to be severely wound up, aren't they? Because it's going to be like, well, come on, did you learn from two years ago or not? There, There has got to be another person in that mix um or if it's going to be Sorensen and he's going to be a central defender then you definitely need at least one more central midfielder don't you so this whole thing the whole context as, as we keep coming back to is that the window's not closed yet we heard exactly why from Stuart Webber from the main man last week at that press conference he talked about the paranoia and the financial elements of the window this time around and we, we've got to trust them we can't judge these sort of things until they're done but i i still would be very not this loud castelletto because from what we hear that he's not one that they look looked at at all but we do hear that they want another center back and we think that they will get another center back maybe not before liverpool but before the transfer window has closed but um we shall see i think that adds into this whole as we were talking about earlier in the video disappointment about these two games being cancelled which is obviously a shame. And as, as we said earlier, we're, we're just hoping that all the, the players affected aren't actually ill and that they get this stamped out and they, they can crack on with pre-season again. But I think there's probably an amplified sense of disappointment because everybody was looking forward to there not being quite so much talk about transfers and stuff and having some tangible football to talk about. Two games, back-to-back, very quickly, away matches. One of them was going to have away fans and home fans. And now all of a sudden we're back to... 
oh, there's a month for the transfer window left. Are they going to sign another centre-back rather than, oh, Gibson's looking fit. Uh, oh, Hanny's back, back. That's great. McLean got 30 minutes. Brilliant. Right, now we're starting to feel that bit more positive. Now there's a bit of a vacuum, isn't there? And and fans are, are hungry, understandably, for, for proper information about their team and about their players because I also <laughs> we've sort of gone from uh, feast to famine, haven't we? And that last summer was what, a month. And within a couple of weeks, they were back playing preseason. They were revealing signings. There was such a very short turnaround between the seasons. And all of a sudden, we were at Huddersfield kicking off again and Adam Eder scoring a last-minute winner. Whereas this summer, they won promotion in April and the title um, at the end of April, which is a long time ago. Now, it feels like a long time ago. And we ever since they got promoted, we've been talking about, are they going to sign another centre-back? They haven't signed another centre-back yet. <laughs> so, understandably, that I think that impact of the game is, is is added to people's concerns a little bit, isn't it? I think, I think you, you hit upon something there, which is really interesting, which is how transfer windows evolve and different situations that may pan out. For example, uh, and again, we've, we've kind of spoken about this a bit already, which is how priorities change. And you mentioned Norman Mamadele there. He suddenly comes back in top shape. Suddenly Norwich actually go, okay, well, if he maintains that standard in pre-season, and of course they get to watch him every day. And, and what you mentioned there is right, actually, that Norwich fans have, have been able to watch two, uh, well, two pre-season friendlies, essentially. So it's not a lot of football to judge anyone on. Daniel Fark has been able to see him every day. So if he's taken the judgment that a 19 actually can bridge that gap um, compared to maybe, let, let's take this French guy, for for example, uh, Cameroonian international, sorry, for example, who maybe they could spend two or three million on, but maybe wouldn't represent that step up in quality. Then all you're really doing is blocking Omar Amadele's pathway and you're not adding significant quality. You're, you're, getting, you're signing someone for the sake of signing them. So it, it can evolve. Now, that's not to say if they train tomorrow and Grant Hanley did his ACL and was out for a year, suddenly their priorities may shift back and they and, and actually it moves from perhaps a central midfielder or a winger being top of their top of their priority list, which we can't say is definitely the, the case. It might be that a centre-back again moves moves forward again. So you, you kind of have these um, these these evolutions and, and three or four of them throughout the transfer window. Where we sit currently is kind of, as you said there, any deal for, for a player would have to represent a, a significant step up. I think they're probably now exploring the, the loan route with more interest now that um, I think it's probably clear that, that Oliver Skip isn't going to return. He's, he's really impressed for Tottenham in pre-season mm. um, and, and a condition of Nuno's appointment, if reports are to be at least, um, uh, are to be believed at least, is is that um, he Nuno was appointed with a condition of, of him and Sessegnon being involved in the first team. So that probably shuts that door, which would mean Norwich have an additional Premier League loan space to play with. Um, it may just be about utilising that at the right time and different options as, as seasons begin and players aren't involved. Different options may become available in two or three weeks' time that aren't available now. So it's it's very pa- it's it's about being patient, as, as kind of Stuart Webber said. And it's, it's also worth noting as well that the window seems to have slipped back again and, and it seems to be a very slow, um, paranoid, to, to quote Stuart Webber, Stuart Webber, window, where we've had kind of this flurry of activity in, in, in the first part of July, and maybe it's kind of calmed down a bit now as people kind of wait for a major deal that creates that chain reaction and, and for stuff to start maybe blocking blocking um, or, or to move the blockade out of the way, so to speak, that deals can get done. It, it kind of feels like that's where we are. And even as we sit here today, only Watford have done more business than Norwich City so far in this window. So... It's it's an interesting point um, that that you do make. This is this is also an interesting point that uh, someone makes. Let me just find the comments. Uh, Joe Keeler mentions on YouTube. He says, "Do you think Norwich need fullback cover with Sam Byram's fitness issues? We look a little light for me with Barley Mumba, the only one that can cover." Um, Dave, I'll throw this one over to you. 
Yeah, yeah, I think so. Even even if Byron's back in, it's can his fitness be relied upon? I mean, I think we would have need to see a full preseason for him uh, to to really think that. And now at best, he's going to get two games, and it's pretty unlikely he's going to start either of them, isn't it? If he's at that stage, so. Yeah, for me, it is looking too thin. We haven't even seen Yanulis play yet, have we? Because he had a hamstring injury of his own. So then where are you? You're either playing, if Byron's not fit enough, you're either playing Mumber at left-back or you're playing Sorensen again at left-back. And to be frank, that's not that's not Premier League standard, is it? I think you'd be, you'd be more likely to see Daniel switch to a... Um, a three at the back. I think I think he'd probably be more likely to play Gibson at left back. To be honest, if if he was going to stick with a four, I think he'd be more likely to play Hanley and Zimmerman or or Omabamadeli and play Gibson at left back, um, or switch to a three at the back and have a Poheta, for instance, as a left wing back. Uh, although he's always liked Max Aarons as a, a as a left wing back for some reason, isn't he? I'm not never really clocked why on the left instead of the right but we've seen that loads of times under Farker haven't we that he often plays him when he switched to that he plays him uh mid-game anyway he plays Max on the left but yeah I mean we saw Jed Spence linked this week didn't we from um from Borough who um has looked okay from from what I've seen of him um that was the Telegraph wasn't it? so pretty pretty reliable link and sounds like someone who is probably on on their list for for fullback options um but the the one who had the, the outstanding game for Borough was Darnell Fisher, wasn't it? Um, in the in that nil nil game that was incredibly infuriating. Um, but it, was it was it Buendia or Campwell? He just he basically Todd. just yeah. It was Todd, wasn't it? Yeah, and he just followed them followed him around the pitch the whole match, and he was excellent, wasn't he? He really snuffed Todd out in that game, and that that was oh that was not a nice match to watch because Warnock came, came with a game plan and absolutely nailed it, didn't they? And, a dreadful nil-nil draw, which really frustrated Norwich. But um, I guess Fish is a bit older and stuff. He's not really a, a Premier League option, is he? Whereas Spence has probably still got some some growth in him and, and, and some more development, which can be brought out by, by a coach like Daniel Farker, who's maybe more focused on on player development than someone like a Neil Warnock, who's all about the team, isn't he? And he's all about getting the results and getting the wins and, and uh, doesn't have a sporting director necessarily working above him. He's just constantly about grinding out those those results he's quite happy to win one nil every weekend and, and the team play ugly football isn't he if that means that they get anywhere near the top six so you know that that would seem like the appropriate level of player um that they would probably be looking at for for the fullback sort of um, area we've seen Jaden Bogle mentioned before haven't we although we weren't too convinced by um the sort of legitimacy of that Brandon Williams at Manchester United although sounds like Southampton are pretty keen on him and um, similarly with Nico Williams at, at Liverpool, it sounds like maybe they're looking to actually cash in and, and sell rather than loan. But um, as things stand, um, uh, as long as Max is staying and, and no one turns up with 35 million, um, which doesn't look particularly likely with the way the transfer window is is working out, then you're probably going to be looking at someone for, for a smaller fee, a Jed Spence for probably three or four million who's going to be competition. Because if... Um, we go into the season as things are expected. Then Yanulis and Aaron's are the the first choice, aren't they? But um, I still think it's probably going to be a little bit galling. And I can under, I can certainly understand the train of thought from Norwich fans that if Sam McCallum is good enough to be on loan at QPR, who are hoping to be in the promotion mix, then then why is he not good enough to be competing during pre-season with Dimitris Yanulis? Um, we'll just have to wait and see. We don't watch McCallum week in, week out. We're just sort of basing that on on his statistics and the amount that he was playing for Coventry and things like that, weren't we? But uh, yeah, I 
I think they do need another fullback, and and I do think they will get another one in before the window's closed. Yeah, I think it will probably be a left back. To be honest, as as uh, for the reasons you've you've kind of outlined there, probably one that maybe can can cover right back as well, just to to cover those positions off. But again, like we've kind of spoken about with the striker debate, very difficult to sign players who aren't coming in to be first teamers, if if that makes sense. Who aren't going like you knew this has has, has got that starting place to then sign a a player underneath that probably would prove mm. quite quite testing, I would imagine. Certainly for the level that Norwich City want, at least. Go on. The one thing I would say on that as well is that. Um, you knew this was good, um, certainly once he got going, and um, he had a very good defensive record, didn't he? In terms of they kept a lot of clean sheets in the games that he played. Um, and I think that most Norwich fans are in agreement that he's definitely got the potential to be a Premier League player. But similarly to Max, he's certainly not an established Premier League player yet, is he? He's got things to prove this year. He has still got a lot of development to go and a lot of adjustment to English football because he wasn't wasn't perfect all the time, was he? There were certainly some rough edges which were being smoothed out and. I guess pre-season would have been that time when Daniel would have been looking to do that. So um, you would like to think, you know, if it was a fully fit Sam Byram, then then I think most Norwich fans would be happy with that because we we know that that guy's got the ability to be a Premier League fullback if he's fully fit. Um, but if it's not, it does need to be someone good enough to push, you know, this and to be capable of of competing for that starting place. Yeah, it does feel like um, confidence in, in Byram's return seems to be dwindling, unfortunately. But let's hope he can get back. Because what a story that would be if he if he does get back to full fitness and uh, and does play a regular part as well. There was a nice uh, one this week, wasn't there? Um, Shay Hutchinson scored for the under-23s, who had his second kidney transplant in December. And we've done a, quite a few stories on him, haven't we? And um, it came off the bench for the under-23s. They won 5-3, was it, at Layston on Tuesday night? So, yeah, those those little lines are always nice to hear. A few comments to uh, whistle through. We'll start with uh, Jeff Wyatt. Not great that we got outbid by Brentford for IF. He really was the number one target. Another 3.5 million. Um, surely that would have been within reach. What I would say is I think Brentford's deal is structured or certainly reports suggest to to be up to 16 million. Um, Norwich was a, a 10 million pound package. That doesn't mean 10 million pounds outright. Um, so probably a significant increase, probably more than the one you're suggesting, which even if it was that fee represents a, a PLA Malou essentially. So Norwich City wouldn't have been able to get him in that scenario if they'd have gone for Aya. So that maybe outlines why they didn't do that. And plus, you can't stretch yourself and then struggle then to to maybe strengthen the areas you want to strengthen because that's a, a portion of your budget gone that maybe you didn't account for. So there will be a ceiling in terms of what Norwich City want to to pay for for players. Um, wages John, as well. Let's not forget yeah. wages. We don't know what Brett, he might they might have been offering double what Norwich were offering in wages because. They do have money behind them. They've got a wealthy owner in, in Matthew Benham, haven't they? So, um, yeah, that, that can't be forgotten as well. But I, I do take the point that from a Norwich point of view, that one of the other newly promoted clubs who hasn't ever been in the Premier League and what the top flight is, uh, is it 65 years or something like that for Brentford since they were last in the top flight. So you can understand why it is a bit unerring for fans to uh, see an, another of the promoted clubs is able to outgun them financial, financially. But it's also not surprising, is it? We, we, you know, we've talked about this and, and the club have talked about it extensively. Yeah, exactly that. Um, I'll just flash up this comment. Um, I don't think we actually have an answer to it, but um, Jonathan has asked, Norwich are advertising for a new head of technical scouting. Has someone else left or is this part of a reshuffle of the recruitment team? I know there has been a, a, a reshuffle of the recruitment team, certainly at academy level. Um, Chris Jones has obviously gone to Crystal Palace, hasn't he, um, this summer, but he, he wasn't a technical scout. So we'll, we'll try and get an answer to that, but don't have one um, right now unless unless you do, Dave. Um, I don't, but I, you've got a 
remember how big the staff is uh, at Norwich City, the backroom staff. You know, a lot of these guys, you know, he, he's not someone who's in the dugout on a match day, is he? He's He might be behind a laptop somewhere in Carrow Road on a match day. But for, for us to keep track of, of of all of the Norwich City backroom team it would be nigh on impossible. But I, I'm sure they have several ins and outs every summer with uh, people going to other clubs. That's That's football, isn't it? Yeah, just just a theory, but I know that recruitment team is very, very small. So it could be that um, some of the Premier League cash has been used to expand that department quite possibly. Who knows? Mm. Um, uh, don't don't know that for sure, but it's... There it's were possible. quite a few new faces, weren't there? Was it... A, I can't remember if it was at Kings Inn. I said there's a few a few guys there that I don't recognise. Um, we, yeah. so we, we didn't know if they were physios or, or sports science guys or whatever, but there definitely did seem to be a few new faces around, which we'll probably get to, to know eventually. <laughs> yeah, they've got a, a new sports scientist from Middlesbrough, haven't they? That's one example yeah. of, of maybe someone who's, who's gone under the radar lots of people who work behind the scenes of course this is an interesting comment from james not strictly transfer related but it touches upon an interesting point uh, he says we've with pen Gensel now gone stuart weber intent on leaving next year although i i would probably argue that's maybe a bit more up in the air than it was maybe 12 months ago what's your opinions on our current uh, executive structure and how it will look in a couple of years time um in terms of Ben Kensel, who's obviously joined Hibs this week as a, a chief exec, um, which seems like a, a good opportunity for him um, north of the border. Seems like a slightly different role to Norwich. I think he'll probably have more control in terms of what he can what he can do there from the, the commercial perspective. Um, in terms of, of Norwich City, I think Sam Jeffrey is is in this role as and in I've got to remember the official title, but I'm, I'm sure it's interim commercial director yeah. or something along those lines, which is a slightly different title to what Ben Kendall had. So how, how do you see Norwich kind of filling in that or, or filling or kind of, um, yeah, filling in for that Ben Kensel role, I suppose. It doesn't seem like there's any real urgency to appoint a direct replacement for him. Um, I mean, we'll see how it evolves. I wouldn't have thought it's something that particularly worries a great deal of supporters, to be frank, who the head of commercial is. It's, you know, it's a business decision. It's not something that's got anything to do with the football. And, Frankly, that that kind of a role, it's all about generating maximum income, as Ben Kensel said on several occasions. But clearly, as we've seen recently, not dropping the ball totally by going for a shirt sponsor who are totally inappropriate and and viewed as unprofessional by your fan base. So, um, yeah, I, we, this was talked about a bit in the Q and A on on Saturday that. You know, from from Stuart Weber's point of view, he must have been so annoyed by all that BK8 fiasco because it, it had nothing to do with him. And, and as he's spoken about, it did end up affecting the football department, which should never, ever happen, should it? So the cancel move is interesting one because traditionally chief executives will now he'll now be involved in transfers and stuff, won't he? David McNally was the chief executive at Norwich and essentially was the man negotiating transfer deals. So is Ben Kensel now stepping um, into a role where rather than just being focused on kits and sponsors and bringing take that and Elton John to Carrow Road and things like that, is he now part of the football department? It, it seems very much so. So that was perhaps part of part of his ambitions. But um, I, I can see, well, I'm certainly a fan of, of Norwich having a sporting director as a starting point because I, I think a head coach and sporting director is, is a modern approach to football because one man, just a manager doing everything that's demanded um, in, in the current day and age in terms of media and football and transfers, I just think it's too much for one person. So I've always been a fan of that approach. And then rather than the sporting director being a chief executive and having to worry about all that sort of stuff, I do think it makes sense to, to split it up. You know, uh, Zoe Ward is business and projects director, isn't she? So the Canaries bond is probably the, the main thing we can point to 
um, with Zoe and, and, and how she was involved with that in raising the, the money for the academy and things like that. But Stuart obviously is involved with with the fa- the figures and the finances and stuff like that because he needs to be aware of it. Um, but he just needs to know what his budget is essentially, doesn't he? So that he can crack on with the football. Uh, and there will be times when they need to have discussions and things like that. But um, I guess it would seem from the outside, purely judging from the outside, that they're probably giving Sam Jeffrey a, a chance to to shine in the role. He's a guy that's been at the club for a long time. Uh, I, I know from um, my dealings of when they went out to Tampa, uh, when I went over them there with them, uh, that relationship with Visit Tampa Bay, that Sam was a big part in them establishing that um, commercial relationship. So uh, that was one that seemed to, to go down pretty well and had everything that's, that happened in the last 18 months not happened, then maybe they will have been over to Florida again, again by some point. So um, for the meantime, I guess they probably see him as as a guy who can keep things ticking over nicely. And if it goes well, then then maybe he'll get the job full time. But um, I, that that is the way they sort of set their stall out, haven't they, with that executive committee of having those uh, three figureheads for the three departments. And I can't really see any reason why, why they'd go away from that because bar a couple of things which haven't been popular like bka and um the memberships initially and stuff like that um i think most people would agree that they've got the off-field stuff pretty much bang on in in the last four years yeah i know there, there were a lot of fans who who uh, saw ben as, as someone who, who's very good at fan engagement it'll be interesting to see whether if it is sam jeffrey who steps into that role we get a similar kind of, of level of, of fan engagement or obviously Jez Moxie who who is probably the polar opposite so that there, there are various types of these characters it will be interesting to see how they they go forward with that and I'm sure it will evolve at, at some point um a question here about Tyrese Omotoy and we've had a, a few questions about him actually any idea what's happening with uh, with Tyrese Omotoy not involved in the first team or under 23 pre-season and he hasn't got himself Another low move. Uh, yeah, he he was linked with someone, wasn't he? A, a couple of weeks ago, I believe. Um, I might have seen, or, or might be thinking of someone else. Um, but there's, it, it has been very quiet on on Tyrese. I don't remember there being a link, but um, it, I might have missed Swindon. That. Maybe, I, maybe I'm. Maybe that's wrong. Swindon last year, wasn't he? Um, maybe that's what. And, and the loan didn't go very well, but he went into that club at a really bad time because as we've, they've had real off-field upheaval, haven't they? Which is uh, Lee Power was the owner. I think he's just left. I'm not not too abreast of what's going on at Swindon, to be perfectly honest. But that seemed like that that didn't really work out. But the fact that we've not seen him involved for the under-23s or for the first team in pre-season, I think we can probably read into that, that he will be on trial somewhere. Like we, uh, we've we carried the story about Matthew Dennis, who is on trial at Southend, scored at the weekend, I think. And you picked up some quotes yesterday, didn't you, from Phil Brown, the Southend man, just saying really like him, want to keep him. He's probably one of our starters at the moment uh, in terms of a loan. But um, the, there's another couple of national cl- clubs in for him, including Kings Lynn, interestingly. So um, if he's doing that well on trial at National League, then maybe he and the club will be thinking, well, perhaps we can get League Two for him. Um, so that's one to keep an eye on. But the fact that Omatoy hasn't been involved at all, unless he's injured, we've not heard anything about an injury, would suggest that he's probably doing the similar sort of thing, isn't he? And that he's on trial somewhere, like Ahadme was at Portsmouth before. That was made a permanent loan because he was impressing. But um, yeah, that, that seems most likely. Yeah, Rocky Bashiri on trial at Coventry as well at the moment. Yeah. Um, I think he, he was trialist A the other night, wasn't he? Uh, Gassan mm. had me was was trialist uh, H, I think, for, for Portsmouth, which Danny Cowley yeah. jokes and made him sound like a, a line of duty character. So, um, yeah, well, they, they, We they saw him at Knoxborough as well, didn't we, last yeah. year? Uh, he was on trial at Salford when he did his Achilles injury, which obviously is 
um, was awful for him. And he's, I, I would imagine, trying to get a loan deal sometime soon. Yeah, exactly. That is very, very common for Norwich City now to, to do that sort of thing. Uh, a couple more questions then before we wrap up. Uh, I think this is Ewan, but I might be wrong. Uh, Jax, sorry if I've, I've butchered your name. It says, um, what about the Madison to Arsenal rumours? Uh, what will we expect to get from that in terms of a uh, sell-on? And obviously uh, that would boost what we can buy this window. Well, first and foremost, sort of contrasting reports about Madison, but it does seem Arsenal's interest is is genuine. Secondly, on that sell-on sort of percentage, that that is on profit usually, isn't it? It's not um, a percentage of the overall fee. It'll be what Norwich City made. So um, I'm trying to think in my head. I've, I've got 15% in my yeah, head. Yeah, so do I. I. I might be completely wrong, but if you have as well, then I might be right. I know it's, it's quite a sizable sell-on chunk, isn't it? Which I think Norwich have been, particularly under Stuart Webber, pretty good at, at sticking in these players' contracts because um and we saw it with godfrey didn't we when he moved to everton york got quite a bit a big chunk of money which is um which has helped them significantly so um so that's a that's a, an interesting one to monitor i guess from a, a norwich perspective not sure what the my maths isn't great so i'm not sure what that would equate to if he did go for 60 million plucking a fee out of the air um, yeah I, I, yeah i've seen 70 million floated around haven't so if we said that he his deal would end up being worth twenty five million, what if if all the add ons had been activated and things, which they haven't all yet, have they? Because he hasn't played competitively for England, I yeah, don't think. Yeah, right. But obviously, we don't. You know, Stuart Webber doesn't fax these over to us and say, "Oh, he, here are the add ons, boys." Just so you know. <laughs> um, uh, so what? Twenty five uh, up to seventy million. So you're talking forty five million. What's that about? Just, six and a half seven million potentially if it was 15 percent of profit um so it would certainly certainly help but um i don't know is madison going to go to arsenal <laughs> you know I, I know leicester missed out on the champions league in the end but is that a step up nowadays i, I think i'd stay at leicester to be honest <laughs> yeah yeah I, I think i would as well actually unless the financial package was much more appealing and of course london is is still an attractive factor for a lot of players isn't it we'll, we'll finish it with, with this question from um, Jeff Wyatt, who says, uh, do you think Dan Adshead might get a chance this year? He he came on, didn't he, against Huddersfield, uh, robbed the ball uh, for Adam Eder's second goal. Uh, from what I've heard as well from the Boston friendly, he was, he was pretty good in that as well. Had a loan at Telstar last year. Doesn't feel like, he, he just thinking purely of depth, particularly if Norris City want to add another one, that he could get himself into that picture. But that's the beauty of pre-season, isn't it? A, a young player can really impress and catch the eye and as Todd did a couple of years ago, I suppose maybe a slightly different situation because he had featured for the first team and, and suddenly can elevate themselves onto onto that stage. Probably you're looking at another loan in England, I would suggest, with, with Dan Adshead. Yeah, I don't think he's quite there yet. I think um, just physically, he doesn't quite look filled out enough to compete in men's football to me. He looks like he's got probably got the technique, but yeah, I think I think he needs another loan and I, I can't really see where he comes into the Norwich squad just just yet either. But the fact that he's in with the under-23s, if if he was, you know, Omar Bamadeli isn't playing with the under-23s, is he, um, if, um, if he was part of Daniel's plans, he would be part of the first team squad day in, day out at this point, I think. There we go. I think that, that wraps us up nicely. I think we've we've covered everything there. Um, oh, we didn't really get the chance to talk about Danel Sanani, but I mean, he's, he's never played a yeah. game for Norwich. He's gone on loan with, with a permanent. It seems like one that they've bought in for free and, and, and similar to Soto, have been able to make a little bit of profit of, which as a, a self-financing club is is important to do that, isn't it, with, with young lads? Um, it will yeah, be interesting yeah. to see how he gets on in the championship. 
yeah, it seems like a good move for him, doesn't it? I put up a few quotes uh, on our websites this morning talking about the fact that Stuart Webber had sort of advised him that Huddersfield was a good club for him and that they would potentially allow him to, to improve as a player. And I'd imagine that's because of... Uh, sounds quite funny to say this after we saw them get destroyed 7-0 at Carrow Road not that long ago, but the playing style that Corbrown in general of that season was trying to implement um, was sort of winning him a, a few fans, although they ended up slipping away and coming quite close to relegation, didn't they? But but they did have some injuries and things like that, didn't they, for that for the 7-0? They weren't in a they weren't in a particularly good place and then they just uh, collapsed like a house of cards. But in general, they were trying to play quite attractive football, a bit like Russ Martin's trying to do at MK Dons. It's like that Farker first year, isn't it, for Corboran um, and Martin, maybe at MK Dons, and they've they've implemented their style. And now we'll find out this season if they're any good. We were talking just before um, we started recording, weren't we, that MK, uh, that Russ Martin being strongly linked with the Swansea job and that they're trying to trying to chase him. But I'd, it sounds like he's, he's turned them down. And if I was him, I'd, I'd stay at MK Dons because I don't, I don't think he's really ready for Swansea yet. I think you I think he actually needs to achieve something at MK Dons before he moves on. If he could get them in the in the playoffs this season, which would seem possible given um how they did last year, then then I think he's ready for a championship move. And who knows? Maybe one day Norwich City. But I, I don't I don't see Norwich coming early in his career. I think I think he would need some real tangible success before he would be a um a, a real consideration for Norwich. Yeah, it would be a tough move, wouldn't it, given all he's built at MK if he if he did jump ship at this point. I think you would yeah. probably need a promotion on his C V before we could um begin looking maybe uh, to, to the end of Farker's time and, and, and maybe talking about Russell Martin as as Norwich manager. But inevitably that will be a conversation that, that comes up in the future. I'm I'm absolutely sure. sure of it. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, thank you very much. Thank you all very much for watching. Hopefully we we've answered as many of your questions as uh, as possible. We'll of course be back um, next week. Uh, for this again things might have moved on they might not have moved on that's the beauty of the transfer window isn't it we'll see you all again very very soon pinkin.com of course the place to go for the latest no city news and views